0: If you have your Bibles, we are in the Gospel of Luke as we've been journeying through this Gospel uh, here. and We're in the 11th chapter and we've been walking through this and uh, seeing and as we've investigated the life of Jesus and those around Him there. Um, and if you recall last week... We saw that Jesus uh, was somewhere around Jerusalem, and while he was there, he uh, did what Jesus normally did, was he came across a man who was demon-possessed and was mute, and he healed him. He cast that demon out of him, and if you recall from last week, we Jesus ran into a little bit of some opposition. Um, Now, how many of you know Jesus always ran into opposition, right? The religious uh, leaders were trying to uh, tear him down, trying to uh, tear down his ministry, which means if Jesus always had opposition, should we, as followers of Jesus and trying to do what Jesus calls us to do, should we be surprised if we have opposition? I don't think so. Uh, So we... We understand that, and Jesus understands that. As a matter of fact, what happened was Jesus cast out this demon, and someone in the crowd there repeated something they have heard. Have you ever had repeated something that you had heard? We kind of call that gossip, don't we? Um, Really what it boils down to is it usually winds up being a lie, just so that you know. Okay. Uh, and this was a lie. Someone said, well, I had heard that Jesus casts out demons uh, in the name of Satan, is exactly what they said. And Jesus went in to explain to them how illogical that thinking was. He proved that the lie wasn't there. But he gave us some very important information that we needed to have uh, in our lives as a church as a whole, as we live in the day that we live in. And that is this, we must be unified we must be unified as a body of believers. We must be unified in Jesus Christ. And we learn that unity in Christ produces victory in life. And when we are unified together, when we, are, we have someone to walk through this life with, when we're unified with Christ, we will have victory in our lives. And so Jesus is actually continuing this conversation. So we, we kind of cut it off in the middle of, of the conversation last week, because how many of you know that when Jesus talks, there's just a lot to figure out, right? A lot to a lot to learn, and so we needed to cut this in half and get to what he's going to show us uh, today. And as we come to our text, as he's talking to this crowd, he's really building off of his last statement. If you recall last week, the last statement that he said was that those, if you are not with me, then you are against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters or in other words you can be unified with me and if if you don't you're going to see trouble and problems in your life if you do you will see and find some important things and really find victory in your life and so Jesus now in this passage of scripture is going to bring it down to one key area in our lives where we can have victory can i ask you a question this morning don't don't raise your hand because i don't want to embarrass anybody but uh how many of you struggle with sin don't want to i'll go ahead and raise my hand for all of us okay all right we're all in the same boat we all struggle with sin of course all of us do but let me ask you this question. Let me, let me kind of pinpoint this a little bit. How many of you have, an, or have at a time, or even now, how many of you have a recurring sin in your life that you can't seem to get victory over? How many, you know, you've come to God, you've asked forgiveness for that sin, you move on, but yet it still comes back in your life, it still rears this ugly head, you still choose to do that sin, you still struggle with it, and you just don't seem to get victory over that sin. Well, today I've got great news for you. Jesus is going to deal with how we can have victory in our lives over sin, how we can... Uh, find this victory and so when we come to this passage of scripture at first glance it's a very interesting passage of scripture and so let me reveal to you how i'm sure if you ever read this passage this is how you read it are you ready okay if you ever read the the gospel of luke and you've come to verses 24 through 26 you read the passage of scripture and you said to yourself hmm let's move on right that's kind of how this passage is. You read it and you look at it and you go, this is weird. And it, and it is. This is a strange passage of Scripture. I don't know if I really understand it. I really don't. It probably doesn't apply to me, so let me go ahead and go forward. And I want to tell you today, listen very carefully, I want to tell you today, when we take this passage of Scripture apart today, you're going to find one of the greatest and most precious nuggets of truth that you need in your life. It's it's how God, it's how Jesus works. Remember, he said, I tell parables for those to listen because some of them won't understand it or get it at all and they'll move on. But others who do get it, boy, they find some real good, powerful truth. And we're going to find some powerful truth in our life today. So let's read this. You'll understand what I'm saying once I read it. If you haven't read this passage, Jesus is continuing to talk here to the group. And it says, When the unclean spirit, talking, now he's talking about demon possession, remember, he cast out. The demon, when the unclean spirit or when the demon has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I'll return to my house. Now, just so you know, the house, demons uh, inhabit people, right? And dwell people when they're possessed. The house there is the person. That's what he's saying. So, I will return to my house from which I came, and when it comes... When the unclean spirit comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. Got it? Are you there? Yeah, that's why we all go, hmm, let's move on. All right? But there's some real important truth in this that uh, at first glance we're like I don't, I don't get this but since Jesus is dealing with casting out demons demons uh, are the topic that he uses in this instance to give the illustration of what he's giving here in this passage remember this is a parable that he tells in this so as a side note I felt like I really needed to address this with you so this is just this is extra you don't have to pay any pay anything for this all right this is just extra I want you to understand something very very important are you ready Demon possession still happens today. All right, just because we're in the 21st century doesn't mean that Satan has stopped or changed his tactics in any way, uh, shape, there. He has not changed at all. So the, the thing is, is what we need to understand, and we need what we need to recognize is this. Listen carefully: a person who is genuinely saved you hear that terminology genuinely saved is filled with the holy spirit as a result a genuine believer cannot be demon possessed however a genuine believer can be demon oppressed and we can be attacked and tempted uh, on a regular basis by uh, satan and his demons and stuff like that but let me say this you say pastor Mike why in the world do you say genuinely saved because as we're going to see in our text today and as we're going to look at it is possible for you to go through external motions of even saying a prayer doing whatever and not genuinely accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You can make a change on the outside but have no change on the inside. You can look good on the outside. We, we even practice this. Do you know that? We practice this. How many of you know that when you come to church, you put your best foot forward, right? I can be Christian for a good hour. I can handle that. No problem, right? All right. I might even be able to stretch it into two. And because I'm your pastor, I might make it to three or four, right? But we all struggle with sin. We all are not perfect. But the reality is, as a genuine believer, and so I'm going to explain that a little bit more to you, why this is so important. But what Jesus is dealing with here. And what Jesus is trying to get us to see is is a contrast between two very important words. And that is this, the contrast between Reformation and Transformation. There's a huge difference between Reformation and Transformation. Reformation, what is that? It is defined this way, simply to make some changes. Just to make some changes in your life or to something. It's just to make a change. It, you ha, you, so you go into, let's say you want to renovate your house. You want to renovate your bathroom. You don't change the sink. You don't change the tub. You don't change where the stool is or anything. You go in and you spruce it up. You clean it up. You change the tiles. You do. The bathroom looks exactly the same. It's just nicer, right? Just a little bit upgraded there for you where transformation is you go into that same bathroom and you knock out a wall and you move where the sink is at and you you move where the tub is and you got a different shot, you know so you totally transform the room so that it looks totally opposite or different than what it did before not only is it better but it's improved it's completely transformed you get the difference there all right so re- reformation is just kind of the outside thing transformation is totally different and what Jesus says here is when he comes and he says the unclean spirit leaves he's talking here about reformation now you need to understand this jesus is not referring to a genuine salvation experience here all right This is not someone who is getting saved or has accepted Jesus. This is a person who does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior but uh, may have been demon-possessed because he's kind of using that as illustration, but their life has just changed. The demon is gone. So it's not a salvation experience, but Jesus is using the unclean spirit to represent sin. Okay, So when we look at the uh, unclean spirit, we're looking at sin and what Jesus is referring to there. So, what he's talking about is that when the unclean spirit leaves, he could be referring to exorcism, which is what he just did with this man because they have just witnessed this. But since this is a parable, more than likely what he's referring to here is that he is referring to a person, listen now, who has had a religious life change. Do you hear me? A religious life change. What does that mean? That means for them something has happened in their life, something has come along, something has prompted them to change, very simply. I'm just going to use very simple uh, illustrations here. That, okay, so let's, let's say that a person has a problem in their life and they, they believe and, and are taught that, that smoking is a sin and, and it, because your body is a temple and so they recognize that something comes in their life, they decide to quit smoking and, and they do. All right, Or or they have a problem with alcohol, they're, they're an alcoholic, and they realize they need to change their life, and so they decide to change their life. Now what Jesus is really dealing with a little bit more here is that a person who is living in sin, whatever the sin may be, continually living in sin, they have a lifestyle of sin, something happens in their life and it changes, and they decide to make a religious change in their life. I need to get Jesus, maybe it is, or maybe I need to go to church, or maybe I need to do this or, or that, or I need to get my life in order. That's the picture that we see here that, that Jesus is talking about. You see, what he says here, he says, listen, the demon goes, and, and of course, a demon, isn't, a demon wants to be back inside someone, if it can possess someone, it wants to be causing problems and stuff. It goes away, not happy where it is, and it comes back and it says, hey... I left this place a mess, housekeeping showed up, this, this looks pretty good. I didn't even like the mess I caused in this person's life, it was too, too raunchy for me. Now that I've come back, they've cleaned this place up, it's looking pretty good, right? Alright, so have you ever heard the, the term, you cleaned your life up? Have you ever heard that reference to that? You got your life cleaned up. You got, you you know, uh, stuff like that. That's what Jesus is referring to. When the demon returns, he finds the the house uh, in order. He finds the person's life has changed. They've cleaned up their life. They have reformed their life. They have made some moral changes to improve their life. And we would look at the person and we would go, man, great for you. I see that you're getting your life in order. You're doing great. This is good. And you know what Jesus says? He says, that's worthless. Feel uncomfortable now? <laughs> Why would Jesus say that's worthless? He says, moral reformation, that's the point he's making, moral reformation is worthless. Just making moral changes in your life does nothing. He says, sure, there's an initial change. There's an initial outside change that someone sees. He says, but here's the problem. The problem is, is that it doesn't last. The problem is, is that what happens is when you make the, just those moral changes in your life, those outside changes, and, and the, the temptations of the devil and the, and the um, working of his demons and the working of stuff, he says, listen, you wind up going back, and when you go back, you go farther than you ever did before, and your life is worse than what it was from the beginning. How many of you know someone that tried to clean up their life, but now, a year later, they're worse than what they were when they started, right? That's just reforming their life. They may have brought Jesus in. They may think they brought Jesus in, whatever, but it's not. So let me paint this picture for you. Let me put it all together for you. You have a person that's living in a moral life, living in sin. They're separated from God. They don't have a relationship with Him. And for whatever reason, uh, something prompts them to change. Maybe their spouse comes in and says, if you don't get your life in order, I'm leaving. Maybe the doctor says, if you don't get this cleaned up in your life, these problems, then you're going to find yourself uh, on your deathbed really quick. Something comes in and prompts them that they need to change. They need to do something in their life. And they say, so we're going to do it. And I think maybe adding church and maybe adding Jesus to my life is a good thing. So they make those changes. They give up their sin. They start doing things that are good. They may go to church. They may help out with others. They live a good religious life. They become a, a decent religious person. But the only changes they have made is on the outside of their life. They have cleaned up their life, and they're living a religious life. But listen now, their heart has never been changed. Their life has, and they're doing this for themselves. As a matter of fact, where the sin once was in their heart and in their life is now an empty void. It's just an empty space that is there. And the problem is, and this is where we come to the heart of this, Where the problem is, is that this empty space in their heart, their religious change only lasts for a while because this empty space is there and something has to fill it and what winds up filling is they go back to sin and sin comes back in and fills that spot. Jesus' point here is this, just removing the sin in our life and making changes to our life, just morally reforming your life is a waste of time because in the end you will find yourself worse off in sin than you did in the beginning and you probably will not recover from it we have a word for that actually we have a word that describes us maybe this will give you a better picture we call it legalism being legalistic where you make changes in your life to fit something or to fit someone else's standards or to, or to fit what you think a good Christian should be, and that's all you do. But there's no real change in your life. Now listen, while reformation does not work, listen now, transformation does. And how many of you know that our God's a transforming God? Amen? So Jesus says, gives this illustration, which is like, you know, if you just uh, tr- uh, reform your life, there's really nothing there uh, for you, but if you get transformed, uh, there, there's a change. So what, G- what Jesus wants us to know is that it is not enough, listen, uh, listen, it is not enough to just get sin out. Do you hear me? It's not enough just to get sin out because there is a void left in us, But Jesus tells us how to be transformed, and that is this. In verse 27, he says, As he said these things, a woman in a crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that, at which you nurse.' And so, blessed is your mom and blessed are you. And Jesus says, he always does, goes, really, the real key is this. Blessed rather, so I'm glad you like all that, but the most important thing is, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God. And keep it. Yeah, blessed is my mom, blessed am I. thank you so much for the accolades and stuff like that. But for you, you need to understand this. Blessed are you who hear the word of God and keep it. Now, this term word of God, uh, I want to break that down into two categories for us. I want to show you how this applies to our lives. According to John in his gospel, John chapter 1, who's the word? Jesus is. Right? So what he's referring to and going back to the term of genuine salvation, I want you to listen to me very, very carefully. Genuine salvation is not simply repenting of our sins. How are we saved? How does a person come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior? Well, the first thing we need to do is ask forgiveness of our sin. We recognize that. And so we come to the Lord, Lord, forgive me of my sin, and I ask that you save me, right? Right? That's kind of the the terminology we use. We believe in your death, burial and resurrection and we ask that you you save me. Uh, and, And that's kind of where we are. And that's where most people make this change. And for some, there's a genuineness and a transformation that takes place in their life. And for others, there's just kind of this outward change. But that's really not salvation. Can I give you the, the real uh, uh, point of what Jesus is saying here? Salvation is not merely asking Jesus to forgive us. Listen now, that's part of it. That's only the first step. The second step is asking Jesus to come into our lives and be Lord of our life. In other words, where sin reigned in my heart, I asked forgiveness and Jesus took the sin. But now there's a void. And what, and what am I doing? I'm asking God. I'm not just saying, God, save me. I'm saying I recognize that Jesus, you're the only one that can get me to heaven. I recognize that. But I also recognize that the best plan for my life is for you to be in control of my life. I don't empty myself just of sin, but I fill myself with Jesus. I ask forgiveness of sin, and I ask the Lord to come into my life and to save me and be Lord of my life. And that's the initial part of salvation. We work that out, as Paul says, as we grow and we continue to walk with the Lord. But Jesus is saying here, listen, many of us have just gone through the motions of simply saying a prayer, and we've said that prayer, and we know how to be good on Sundays, and we know how to be Christian at different points of our life, but the rest of our life really is no different in the world. I come to church and I can act Christian. Oh, there's some things in my life that I'm trying to change on the outside, but there's really been no transformation in my life. How many know that there are churches filled with people who have made professions that truly are not saved? Now listen, I'm not trying to get you to doubt your salvation. The Bible says very plainly that if you are genuinely saved, the Holy Spirit will bear witness with your spirit that you you are His. You will know but I'm telling you right now, if, there's, if you uh, don't have victory in your life over sin, if you uh, accept Jesus and it was just simply a matter of prayer and your life really hasn't changed, if you're, if you're not walking uh, a victorious life now, it, after you're saved, then there's a big struggle here. I'm, now, you say, Pastor Mike, so I'm going to be sinless after I'm saved? Absolutely not. But you're going to get victory over sin. Didn't Jesus just tell us a few verses before, that the kingdom of God is more powerful than the kingdom of Satan? And if you accept Jesus as Lord of your life and you bring him into your life, is not greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, Satan? Right? So therefore, there should be victory over sin in your life. There should be a transformation take place. Your life should radically changed that's why uh paul said in corinthians that when we accept him as lord and savior we are what a new creation we're not just reformed we're not just made a few little changes we are absolutely recreated in jesus christ we take out the sin and we bring in the lord jesus christ you say, Pastor Mike, I'm saved. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I know it. I know that, that God resides inside me. I know that my sins have been taken care of. But you know, this also applies to us in our Christian walk as well. Not only does it start with this in our salvation, but it also continues as we walk through our spiritual walk. There are many genuinely saved believers who have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and the Holy Spirit has come in, but still struggle with reoccurring sin in their life. The Holy Spirit convicts them. He, they, he tells them, don't, don't do this, don't go this way, but we choose it anyways because we still live in this body of flesh, but we don't get victory. And the reason why we don't get victory, I think, is simply this, because we do the exact same thing. They do, the, believers do not live in victory over sin because sin And sin lives in victory over them. And we know this shouldn't be, but why is it? The same principle applies. We choose sin. We repent of our sin genuinely. The sin is gone and we are forgiven. But that's where we stop. Are you with me? That's where we stop. But in no time we're drawn right back to that same sin. We choose that sin and the cycle begins over and over and over again. And many believers are caught in this vicious cycle in their lives. Why? Because the same exact principle applies in our lives as believers. When sin comes into our lives, what do we do? We repent. We ask forgiveness of that sin. But we don't stop there. We, we, we're so quick to, conf, to say, uh, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And amen that God does that. He absolutely does. When we confess our sins, we're genuine about it. He forgives us and wipes those sins away and takes those sins out. But repentance is only the first step. The second step is to fill the void where sin is with Jesus. How do we do that? We take the Word of God and we hide it in our heart. We read, listen, we read what that sin is like in God's eyes. We recognize how God sees that and we fill our mind and we fill our heart with the word of God. When we ask forgiveness of sin, then we, so, so we, we told a lie, we knew it was wrong to tell it, we told it anyways. There we chose sin, we ask forgiveness of that sin, Lord please take that sin out of my life. He takes the sin out of my life, what do I do? I put in God's word where it says that we need to be truthful, that the truth will set you free, that you need to do, to, to, uh, God hates a lying tongue and lying lips, right? And, and it reminds us so that when we come back to that lie again, and we want to lie again, the Holy Spirit goes, oh, do you remember that God hates lying lips? Why? Because you filled that void with the Word of God. But rather, blessed are those Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and keep it in their life. And keep it. It's the word of God that fills that void. We put Jesus into our lives. First, by way of salvation, we get sent out and we we put Jesus as Lord of our life. And then as we walk in this journey, we continually take the word of God. What does Paul tell us? That we renew our minds, we transform our lives by the word of God in Romans chapter 12. This is our walk. This is our sanctification. We repent of the sin and then we fill our heart with God's Word. Do you want to have victory over sin in your life? Then put God's Word in your heart. Will that take care of every sin I wish? I wish I could tell you that you'd never sin again, but we live in this body of flesh. But the more you put the Word of God in your life, the less sin you'll commit. Something that we've gotten away from in our 21st century and that is this memorization of Scripture. We just don't memorize it anymore. We just don't put it in. Well, I can't memorize. Yeah, but when was, what's the stats of your favorite football player? Well, I can tell you every stat down the line of the, my favorite football player, but I can't memorize Scripture. We can memorize Scripture. We need to get back to heeding the word of the psalmist of Psalm 19:11, who gave us this promise That I, He says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How do we have victory in our life? True victory. Jesus gives us true victory, and that is this. Why do we struggle with sin? Because when we ask forgiveness of sin, it is taken out, but we do not fill that void with anything. And because that void is there, sin finds its way. Just like running water, going down, finding the easiest path, sin finds its way and fills that void again, and we find ourselves back in sin. And God says, I don't want you to live that way. I don't want you to be burdened down that way. I don't want you to be drugged down. So when we have sin in our life, seek and ask forgiveness. But then fill our hearts with God's word. Or in other words, i leave you with this. Fill your heart with Jesus. Fill your heart with Jesus. The more we walk in His Word, the more we apply His truth, the more that we have it in our heart, the more that we have it in our mind, the more that we have it, the Holy Spirit uses us to help us walk and to live a life that is free from the entanglements of sin. Maybe you're here today and maybe you've never thought about the fact that, well, I just kind of went through the motions and my life has changed, but there's no change in my heart. Maybe you need to start at the very beginning and genuinely accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. We certainly offer that today. But would you fill your heart with Jesus? Let's stand this morning at God's house. Father God, I thank you so much for everyone that is able to be here today, for all who are online. If there's a person here today that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, oh God, I pray that we might have an opportunity to share the truth so they can know their lives can be transformed, that Jesus can be in their life and they can see true victory in their life. Lord, those of us who are followers of you and dealing with sins in our life, Lord, I pray that you give us victory. I pray that we will purposely fill our hearts with you. Take us now this week, take us safely home, Lord, I pray, and let us enjoy the week and come back to worship you again next week. We love you and praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.